The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Just like the song says, so close, yet so far away. The Winnipeg Jets almost won 6-4 in Minnesota on Tuesday night. Instead, they lost 6-5 in overtime. Greg's not happy about it. The pandemic has created so many challenges, and yet another one that we're facing is a shortage of school bus drivers. We speak to a Manitoba man who has an amazing fundraiser involving growing gigantic pumpkins, and he's doing it all for his mom. And we had a follow-up chat about food today. On Tuesday, we talked about the craziest food we've ever eaten. Today, we discussed the crazy dining experiences we've had. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, October 20th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this Wednesday morning on The Start. And right now we want to tackle one of life's great mysteries. And I think this is something that so many of us can relate to because we find ourselves in the situation and we wonder, how? How did this happen? Loren, what happened? I come down every morning and I want to be clear, my work setup is super basic. I'm working off a couple TV trays. That's no joke. Two TV trays. I have a laptop. And this, whatever you call this, this the commander that allows me to speak to you. So there's maybe, there's an Ethernet cable, one, two, three, four, five, seven cords, eight cords dangling from these two things, right? Okay. And I'm quite certain in the middle of the night, they make love to one another. <gasps> they entwine like a, you know, like the snake den where you go to narcissist snakes and they just, it's a ball of snakes writhing and basically, you know. Like an orgy. <laughs> I think these cords get it on in the night because I cannot explain why when I sit down, they are so tangled up and there's a knot in one, like a knot. Like you'd have to do that, you know? So I think they're doing it to themselves. I think this is a Toy Story situation where the cords come alive <laughs> at night and honestly, bound to go bound. I can't explain it. it the cords are having... You know, the things are happening down there. Hold on, hold on. Did you say bow, chicka, bow? Bow, chicka, bow. <laughs> bow, bow. No? Bow, chicka, this... bow, wow. Yeah. Bow, chicka, wow, bow, bow, yeah. wow. You well, get where that's going. Yeah, I know exactly where it's going. Uh, there's no chance your your dog, Moose, is messing with you. Not allowed in the, the basement. I cannot figure it out. It's like the same way you put the cords away at Christmas time every year, right? You yes. wrap them up all nicely. You do the whole thing around your arm. You tie it in the middle. It looks mm-hmm. great. You even maybe put it in a bag. Like there's no way this cord is going to unravel itself in right. a year's time. It's, it does. It's just so sitting I, in the box or the tote. Getting it on with for other cords. 10 months, but you figure this is what's going on, huh? Listen, I just think <laughs> I think I'm onto something. I just figured I'd bring in some some music here. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's always a mystery. Like, sometimes I'll even bring just two. I'll bring my charger cable to work, and I'll have a set of headphones in my bag. And inevitably, when I go to pull the headphones out or the charger cable, they have completely entangled e- with each other. Yeah. And it was the same when I used to play video games with my Nintendo. didn't matter what state I left the Nintendo and its controllers in when I went to play again. Everything was tangled up, and I think I don't... I didn't do this. 
don't know. So why? Why? There's an electrical law of attraction there that scientists have ignored for far too long, and we need to get to the bottom of this. You two are lending credence to this notion that inanimate objects can move themselves, and my children insist that this is the case. I don't like you going down this road because, <laughs> you know, where's the remote control? I don't know. Well, you had it last. Well, I left it right there. Why isn't it right there? I don't know. This is this is this is not good for parents who insist that things, you know, should be in a certain place and then in the morning or, you know, when you go to look for them they're not because they're always well that's where I left it. Sure it is. Let us know what you think about this. Do you have does this happen to you? Do your cords get tangled up in the middle of the night? Do like objects get go it on <laughs> in the night? The headphones are mixing with the microphones, mixing with the Ethernet. A lot of love is happening down here. That's all. And as an aside, I think this music should be introduced at random for the rest of the show. Yeah? Just for no reason. Just this music is making me happy. I got it. I got a shoulder shimmy going on. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I should tell you that the name of the song uh, is Cramming for College. So we'll just leave it on that. Um, we got lots of stuff to talk about today. At 7.07, we have something really exciting from the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. I was scrolling through Instagram yesterday and noticed this. It's called their, their hashtag buy local MB campaign slash contest. So we'll speak to Chuck Davidson. He's the head of the... Uh, the president and CEO of the Chambers of Commerce. For the next 10 weeks, they're going to have uh, a winner every week. And all they want you to do is just tell a story about a local business. And GMAC, I think this is great, especially, and I know a lot of people don't want to think about Christmas and the holiday season until we get beyond Halloween, Remembrance Day. But uh, given the supply chain shortage, people have got to get shopping now. No question about it. And Brett, you do a great job of this supporting local. Uh, your Christmas gifts to me over the last four or five years have always been produced locally. So here's one more reason for you to think local think really hard about buying local and thinking ahead yes i agree we don't want to think about christmas i try not to think about it until november 12th but based on all the things we're hearing about shipping concerns supply concerns with uh, semiconductors and everything that has to do with toys and elsewise yeah you might want to get on this right now and uh, what a what a wonderful Impetus is that the word? Impetus. Yes, for this to uh, to happen and for you to think about it right now. Have you started yes. thinking about it yet, Loren? No, <laughs> you know me. No, don't be crazy. It's October twentieth, man. I know. I got two months, five days. Two I, months, four days. Gift card Christmas coming up. <laughs> Gas station Christmas. Who doesn't like pot of gold chocolates? Put up your hand because that's what you're getting. I did it once where I started. I actually started my shopping, I think, in September. Like, I'm going to buy one gift per paycheck, and then I'm not. there's going to be no scramble. But it ended up making it somehow more stressful because it was always in the back of my mind. And it kind of took the fun out of the, the, the final run. In December. So I can't win. Doesn't matter what I do. I'm always unhappy with however it turns out. But hey, we'll learn more about this at 707. And uh, GMAC, I got to say, I, I noticed you've been a little sad down the hallway this morning. Why are you sad? Well, first of all, I'm too old to allow professional sports teams to dictate yeah. my emotional state. Yet here I am. <laughs> you know, Loren, you asked the question, you come downstairs, what on earth happened? That was my question at 10 o'clock last night because they stayed up 
of course, to watch and listen to the game. And that was exactly the question I was asking at about 10.05 as I shut my light off, turned the TV and the radio off. What on earth just happened? I forgot about Greg in the mornings because it's been so long since I've been in studio. And you would just know it's post-Jets game, 4 a.m., just the way he'd walk down the hallway. You're like, here it comes. Here's angry Greg. Here's happy Greg. Here's confused Greg. Here's no steeped tea, Greg. And they lost. The worst was when you had no tea and they had lost the night before. Bad combination. Bad combo. Come to center ice, puck is dropped, and it's showtime from St. Paul, Minnesota. Connor, a backhand shot toward the net from the near side wall. That went wide, grabbed by Kulikov, tried to play it. It came out in front, a slap shot, they score! Kyle Connor, looking at a gift, hammers it home, and Winnipeg leads it 2-0 with a second of the night. Beyond, into where the corner, far side, Stasny. Into where the slot for Morris, he's shooting, he scores! Josh Morrissey, it's a power play goal for the first time this year. And Winnipeg leads it 3-2. to two. Rolled around in toward the corner. Minnesota pressing here. Shifley came away with a puck, but he turned it over. Came more toward the front of the net. They score. Bad puck presence by the Winnipeg Jets. Zuccarello, I think, on the last touch. Outlets it now for Shifley in toward the middle. A two-on-one developing. Cop across the line, moving in, shooting. He scores! Off the far post and in. Winnipeg has their largest lead of the night. It's two. Andrew Kopp gets into the act, and it's 5-3 Winnipeg. Bukestad will start back with Sturm. Sturm for Bukestad. A two-on-two out in front for Sturm. And a glove save. Robbery there by Hellebach. His finest save of the night. Lowry out in front. For Stanley, a shot. What a stop by Talbot. Back the other way. It's a three-on-one for Minnesota. Kaprizov on the near side. Kaprizov out in front of the shot. They score. Almost at one end. It ends at the other. Minnesota comes back and wins the hockey game in overtime. All right, so if you didn't listen or watch the game last night, you would, you know, wake up this morning and and hear what you just heard and maybe think, oh, the Jets let a two-goal lead slip away again? Dang. Yeah, they did. And uh, Loren, in far more heartbreaking fashion than what you just heard in our sounds of the game. Oh, the sounds of the game normally get you pumped up, and they kind of did. There was that roller coaster that you were on, but uh, no. The ending was not what everyone wanted. And as you did hear in the sounds of the game, Andrew Kopp put the Jets up 5-3, 6-37 into the third. And then with just five minutes left, the Wild capitalized on a power play opportunity to make it 5-4 Jets. So, of course, it was nail-biting time until this. On the near side, cross-ice pass, intercepted by Winnipeg, skated out to center ice. Kopp, far side, Shifley, he'll shoot, scores! Mark Shifley will put it into the empty net with 1.14 remaining in the third. And Winnipeg has regained their two-goal lead at 6-4 for the Jets. And is there a challenge maybe for offside here? Shifley kind of took his time waiting for the space to open up. Did he draw, did he pull, you know, Kyle Connor offside? And it's close. Yep. It's real close. After reviewing the play, it was determined that it was offside, no goal. We set the clock to one. 
So they'll reset the clock, take the goal off the board. To the bench goes Talbot, bouncing puck, they score! Bounced into the slot. Somebody whacked at it. It was Joel Erickson Eck with his second of the night. And we are tied at five and what a turn of events in the last 30 seconds. Yeah, sucking the momentum from the Winnipeg Jets thinking they had the two points walking out of here. And it's just the way the puck has been bouncing tonight. So it was 5-4 Jets, 6-4 Jets, then back to 5-4 again, 5-5, and then in overtime, the Wild complete the comeback to win 6-5. They're 3-0. Their fans are absolutely delirious. Uh, great fans, if you ever get a chance to go see a game there, by the way. Here is Jets head coach Paul Maurice. thought I was, I was good. Obviously, I looked at it too. I liked it till, uh, till we were offside on the empty net. I mean, that's a hard-fought, hard good battle game on the road. Uh, like big chunks of it. Didn't like that last minute and a half. <laughs> that just says it, I guess. Jets forward Kyle Connor, who had a two-goal game, had this to say about the play at the Minnesota Blue Line. I thought I was, I was good. Obviously, I looked at it, too. I was offsides there. Um, just one of those things that, you know, a little attention to detail by me. I think, uh, you know, just, just stay on sides. It's easy as that, win a game. So I guess we can find the positive in that there's a point, the first point for the Jets of the season. They, of course, Greg, return home for the home opener tomorrow night against Anaheim. I know it's 6.43 in the morning, so forgive me for this, but there are some massive concerns about the Jets' penalty kill right now, Brett. It's 30th in the league, operating at just 53%. For comparison, about 80% is considered acceptable. I would suggest concerns not necessarily exist about the play of Connor Hellebuck, but definitely the number of goals the team has allowed, and I think there is a difference there. I'm, I'm not not positive, but I, I think there is. Uh, you know, all these goals against in uh, three games, not sustainable if you want to win more games than you lose. And many are wondering about an overall trend for the Jets and results in their last 18 meaningful games, stretching back to last season in the playoffs. The Jets have four regulation wins, three overtime wins, those all in the playoffs, two overtime losses, and nine regulation losses. Fans are looking for answers and signs of which direction this team is genuinely going. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we got bomber tickets to give away for Saturday's game against BC, and it's a follow-up conversation on what we were talking about yesterday. Yesterday, we were talking about the craziest meals we've ever had, inspired by the brand-new Tot Dog that you can purchase at Winnipeg Jets games. And today, we want to talk about the crazy dining experiences. So if you have a story you want to share about, you know, maybe you had the most lavish dining experience or the most unique perhaps it was a unique location or maybe it was just flat out the weirdest dining experience tell us a story at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win those tickets we'll pick a winner just after 9 15 greg you start us off because you got a good one that inspired this follow-up chat well fair enough that was may 2019 fortunate enough to be in croatia with uh, about 14 15 of our listeners we had an incredible time we'd been in dubrovnik for 
of our first full day of touring that incredible city. And then we got on a bus and we went to this farm outside of Dubrovnik and we get off the bus and it's this sprawling complex of buildings and inside is essentially what would be considered a restaurant. But in Croatia, some of the farmers have incorporated these dining halls as a way to supplement their income. And during the uh, the war, uh, the Yugoslavian uh, war, uh, this place was essentially destroyed. It's been rebuilt. Everything is grown here, processed here. It's absolutely incredible. We started with charcuterie, and then uh, there was homemade bread, salad, potatoes, veggies, this beautiful lamb roast, wound up with just this rainbow of homemade desserts, red wine, mixed in with this. Folk songs, live entertainment. It was like a mini folklorama pavilion. It is easily the most memorable meal that wasn't my wedding day in my life. All right. That sounds great. Uh, just a heads up, Lauren. We might have to wait until 7.15 to get ours in uh, because we only got three minutes here to get to Cam Poitras, Skylar Peters, and Forte. Cam Poitras, start her off. Well, I got to go back to my time at Disney World. Uh, you know, they have the the drive-in sci-fi uh, 1950s uh, theater there. They play these terrible B-movies, B and you get to eat in one of these cars. And uh, apparently you need two months uh, advance to get into this with a reservation. Well, I don't take that. I say, like, listen, that's a challenge. So what I did was I went to the front there and I hounded these guys. And I was very polite and stuff like that, but I kept saying, eh, table available, table available, table available. <laughs> and I've never done this before, but I put a $20 American bill in my mm. hand and I uh, had a little bit of a shake. Oh. And, uh, yeah, well, you I know what? wanted to do that. Yeah, it was great. I felt so cool. I felt like I was a gangster. And uh, <laughs> I got we got in and it was a fantastic meal. It was so nice. And it was just made all that sweeter because because of how it happened because you stepped up because I, I manned up you're a big man on campus you got it boy, poitras forte what you got you know a place i really love itchy band you know it's a place oh. where, where they cook right in front of you well and you, done. you got the flames and you know they interact with you except for when i was a kid this one time and uh the chef you know threw an egg at me and i totally missed didn't catch it and got the yolk on me and then my, <laughs> my, my auntie goes oh ha the yolk's on you. <laughs> oh, God. I wasn't very impressed at the time. But I love Itchy Band. It's so much fun. Oh, can I get your aunt's number? She sounds right up my alley. Oh, you sure can. Uh, Skyler. Uh, you know what? I don't know if I have a, a super memorable dining experience. Mine would probably oh, way to tee it up, up Skyler. Yeah. 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 Way to tee it up. I, well, the, the one yesterday is probably like that. That probably applies here where we had fried rattlesnake at uh, this Rustler's Roost restaurant just outside Phoenix. But uh, I, the one place I do want to go, I don't know if any of you guys have been to one of these, is the restaurants where the servers like just get to be honest. And they're like they can like be mean to you and in like you know like no. oh, that was a stupid question and stuff like that. Oh, I just think that's yeah, so funny. It's like, like dicks. It's called dicks. It's, or yeah. it's, it's the worst. Yeah. It's been, the worst. I, I got so mad at that restaurant in Minneapolis. <laughs> Why did you so go mad. there? Why did you go there? I didn't there, know. Then? I went. We walked into one in Nashville <laughs> and it was actually awful. They were complete. It actually was terrible service. But I guess that was the well, point. But yep. As as someone who uh, dabbles in slinging steaks once in a while, I'd, I'd love to do it. Just you know. 
some nights I feel like this would be pretty good. It would well, be super. I unique. wanted to murder the server, so good luck with that. <laughs> well, I'm with you, Loren. Because you're with in your case, Loren, it had to do with the food allergies in the family, did it not? Right. And I didn't. Know, I also didn't know that that was the thing in the restaurant. Like I had no idea what we walked into. We sat down. It was a busy. We were in the Mall of America, and then the guy says, "You know, what are you ordering?" And he says something off the cuff, rude. And I said, "Just before we do, just want to say my kid has a nut allergy. So, what, um, can we just make sure we tell the chef?" And he said something like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." And I was like, no, not whatever. Like, this is life-threatening. And then he made a joke, like, he signaled to my husband, like, this one, eh? You know, like, she's a handful. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't, uh... (laughs) (laughs) You messing with the wrong lady kind of thing. Yeah, I wanted to, like, rip his smug smile right off his face uh, for the rest of the meal. The kids thought it was hilarious because they got names like Fart Nickel and different things like that. But I hated it. How's this for simple? Buy, brag, tag, and win. It's part of the new hashtag buy local MB campaign from the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. They want to know your local love story for a chance to win a prepaid Visa card, Loren. All right. So let's bring on Chuck Davidson, president and CEO of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Loren. Another simple question. How's this work? Well, as simple as you guys just talked about it, it, it's not complicated because I like to keep things simple as well. So uh, all we're encouraging people to do is that when you're out over the course of the next eight weeks, if you're shopping, if you're at a restaurant, uh, we want you to take a picture and we want you to uh, post that to our website uh, or to our uh, Instagram or to our our Twitter at BuyLocalMB and use that hashtag. And all you have to do is simply do that. So as as Brett kind of talked about, what we want you to do is to buy, buy something. We want you to brag about it and then we want you to tag some other individuals and you'll be entered for an opportunity to win a $100 prepaid Visa gift card. So simple contest, uh, and we'll pick a winner every Monday morning. Chuck, we love to promote local, and we think that if there's been any upside economically in this pandemic, it has been the appreciation and the relationship Manitobans are creating with local makers, local entrepreneurs, restaurants, uh, shops, you name it, uh, with this predicted shortage of goods coming from far reaches of the planet could you have had better timing for a project like this well and i think that's important too and we we look back to a year ago at this time right we were just about to go into a lockdown where a lot of the the retail a lot of the restaurants were having to lock their doors and lay off their staff so we think that it's even more important this year because this is the typically what would be considered the busiest time of the year for a lot of retail as well you know leading into the christmas time frame the black friday as well has typically been a very busy day so anything that we can do to encourage manitoba to continue those great habits that they've they've had over the course of the pandemic by supporting local uh, and we can then help uh, in, incentivize them a little bit as well uh, we think is going to be beneficial for the businesses and for manitobans as well did the success of the tourism rebate program that you had over the summer lead you to start thinking of new ways and new contests to entice manitobans to stick with local biz yeah, exactly, Brett. And I think that's, you know, kind of the role that Chambers of Commerce have really played throughout this entire pandemic is what can we do to support the business owners throughout the province? And, you know, obviously through the TRIP program was extremely successful. We were able to uh, uh, help more than 24,000 Manitobans take advantage of that program and provide them with a rebate for a hotel stay that they had over the course of the seven weeks that we ran that program. So, again, knowing that we are leading into the Christmas time and knowing what are going to be some important uh Uh, things that we could do to help business again, knowing that uh, specifically what was going on at this time last year, 
and you know how many businesses were impacted as a result of COVID, uh, knowing that we're in a much better position right now, and we hope we can continue to keep the doors open to businesses, and if we can encourage more and more Manitobans to continue to keep those great habits of supporting local, I think they'll have a successful and hopefully a, a much better Christmas season this year. Chuck, you used the word habit just there, and I think that's a good one, right? Because we talk, we've talked about this so many times over the years. In this pandemic, we, of course, saw so many people shopping online, and that led to a lot of increases in Amazon purchases and the rest, which then had local businesses saying, hang on, you can buy online with us too. And lots of them started doing deliveries and all the rest. And so it's about not just doing it once in a while, but that habit, as you said. That's exactly it. And I think what what we've seen over the course of this as well is so many other businesses have really stepped up and provided services that are similar to Amazon. I I think of guys like Avi Khan, the good local site. Uh, You know, if you want to do buy local products and, and have it delivered directly to your door, you now have that opportunity because businesses have popped up and recognized what the what the habits of Manitobans have been as well, that they like some of that, you know, being able to have something delivered directly to your house. So businesses locally are taking advantage of that. So, But at the same time, you know, we want to encourage people to get out uh, to go and visit these businesses as well because that helps keep employment up, which we know is uh, is also going to be important creating those jobs. So, you know, those, those habits are, are really what's important. And I think Manitobans have done such a great job over the course of this, whether it was been, you know, traveling locally and we helped them a little bit with the trip program. And if we can help them a little bit more with, you know, a small incentive of a $100 gift card by, by really encouraging them to, to, again, shop local and then tell the story about where they went and some of the cool places that they've done. I mean, I think that's what I'm, I'm most looking forward to as well is, is finding out what are some of these great places that people are kind of going to. I mean, I had the opportunity yesterday to visit one of them in Brandon, the Green Spot Home and Garden. Uh, is an unbelievable store in Brandon that's got everything in it. I've never been there before. Had an opportunity to visit yesterday. Another great local story that we would encourage people to, you know, go out and visit and see what they have to offer. This whole idea of community, as we uh, just have about 40 seconds here at the most, Chuck, and everybody getting together, you know, businesses that might from the outside seem like competition to one another really have a, a community sense and the power of working together. This This highlights that. Yeah, there's, there's no question. I think that's what we're really trying to encourage is, is, you know, more and more people, you know, supporting their community. We know the importance of, you know, investing in your community. Those dollars go back into your community as well through employment. We know there's businesses that support your local hockey team and your uh, your various charities as well. So it's important that we continue to give back. And, and Manitobans can play a role by continuing to support those local businesses over the course of these next eight weeks. And, and hopefully we'll be giving away uh, and we'll be giving away a hundred dollar prepaid Visa gift cards to some people that have really taken advantage of this opportunity. Chuck Davidson, president and CEO of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. Thank you very much, sir. Thanks, everyone. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We got bomber tickets to give away at 9.15. Based on your text messages, we're asking you to tell us a story about a crazy dining experience. Yesterday we talked crazy food. Today let's talk about the actual dining experience. And Loren, I understand your story is going to take us potentially down a slightly different path. Well, I'm just, you know, call it whatever you want. I've been spoiled or blessed or whatever you want to say. You know, I have loved ones in the States, the Caribbean, the mountains, Mexico, Europe. So I've eaten at some truly amazing spots, you know, in Prague, in the hills, in the deserts of Petra in Jordan. We've had meals in Zermatt, in the snow, in the mountains, staring at the Matterhorn. So it's been incredible and special. But I would give anything 
right now just to sit and have a meal with my parents and siblings. It's been two years since I've seen my sister, two and a half since I've seen one of my brothers, almost three years since all of us were together, like eating and drinking and laughing. We have never gone this long in our lives ever. Six months hasn't passed before this pandemic where we weren't together. And yet here we are. So I think we can all agree it's not necessarily where you are, but who you're with. So if I could combine the two, I would love to have a meal with my family in a field, like at harvest time, like we used to do when we were younger, because there is nothing better than meals outdoors, nothing better than supper in the field during harvest. And I don't even care what you're eating. It could just be a corn of cob. Like, I don't care. Bring a blanket and the cold one and the family, and it will be amazing. That sounds wonderful, Loren. Uh, that's really Well, you can thoughtful. come. I just need a field and the family and the food. But c- beyond that, you're welcome. I kind of liked this Zermatt Matterhorn thing, mm-hmm. though. So where, where exactly were you seated? So my sister has lived in Switzerland on and off over the years. And so you, when you go skiing... And it just eliminates the point of skiing. You're supposed to be up there skiing. But there's this, like, you know, little lodge halfway down one of the hills that you can get reservations at. And so you can sit inside. But on some days, it's really warm. And then the reflection off the snow means you just need your ski pants and you don't even need your jacket. And they have these little tables in an outdoor setting with, you know, a fire. And you're just staring at the Matterhorn. I have to be honest. I don't think we ate. I think we just drank (laughs) rosé. Well, as Brett describes... As uh, Brett describes lettuce as a delivery device for ranch dressing, uh, golf, skiing, and many other events are simply a delivery device for beer into your system. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times we go skiing and you're like, how, you're like maybe one run in and my sister and I always look at your après ski time. Is it already after ski time? Like, are we... Are we done? Are we good? <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we want to continue the discussion on the rules around visitation at hospitals. But before that, Greg, I see on our newswire here we have uh, some rather concerning news as it pertains to inflation. I see it in front of me as well. And uh, Stats Canada says the annual pace of inflation picked up in September to reach its highest level since February of 2003. The agency says its consumer price index in September was up 4.4% compared with a year ago. The reading compared with a year-over-year increase of 4.1% in August. Whoa, that is high. That's worrisome. Yeah, the big uh, driver here is the cost of uh, gasoline, 32.8% mm-hmm. more last month for gasoline than in, in September of 2020. The Statistics uh, Canada says the annual inflation rate would have been 3.5% had it excluded gasoline prices from its calculation if only all of us could exclude gasoline from our expenses. <laughs> It makes me thankful that I don't drive my car that often. I think I still, I think I fill up my tank maybe once a month. Um, but even then, it still hurts when I see that final price and go, oh, good Lord. I, and I drive a compact sedan. I don't know how people with pick, big pickups get away with or feel when they fill up. Oh, pain, pain, pain at the pump. In fact, a shout out to uh, Chris over at Birchwood Ford. I went in to uh, inquire about the new Mustang Mach-E, the electric vehicle, <laughs> and I introduced myself. We were back and forth talking to uh, another salesperson, Brendan, and and Chris goes, you're Greg Mackling from CJOB. I listen all the time. So Chris, good morning to you, friend. Shared Health says it's regularly 
reviewing its visitation rules when it comes to allowing family members into the hospital to visit a loved one during this pandemic. But as it stands right now, if you have someone who needs to visit an emergency room, you might not be allowed to go inside with them until they're admitted. And access is restricted if the visitor is not fully vaccinated, although there are exceptions for essential care partners and, in certain cases, patients who are nearing the end of their life. Yeah, we asked them to clarify the rules after we shared the story of the Winnipeg woman who spent hours waiting to see her dying husband after he was rushed to hospital in September. She's fully vaccinated and so are her children, but rules preventing their access meant he spent 12 of his last 18 hours on earth alone, Loren. Yeah, that it had to do the fact with he hadn't been admitted yet and you're not allowed in the ER. The patient usually has to go in alone. There was all sorts of different things. They're trying to sort out what went wrong there. But that prompted one of our listeners to reach out and share her experiences. This person works in a Winnipeg hospital assisting in direct patient care. She has more than two decades of experience and she really believes family is such an important part of providing that best possible care. So she agreed to talk with us as long as we didn't reveal the name or hospital She says she has countless stories of patients whose faces are forever ingrained in her memories after their family were denied access at the ER doors. Very sad cases where a young person has had a mental health breakthrough and has to come in by themselves. The system to navigate is scary at the best of times, but now we have people who are at their worst. This is the worst time of their lives. And when we're at our worst, we need support and we have to separate them at that door. Um, young lady coming in who has been assaulted and now has to be by themselves. It just, the scenarios are endless. The cancer patient who is coming in for the diagnosis and has to be by themselves until something can be arranged. It's just so many faces and all I can do is is hope that they understand that that we do care about these folks and sorry it's very difficult to have to separate them at the door so she says for some of us of course the policy might not make a huge difference you might be going to say an urgent care a broken limb yeah you're in pain but you you know you're emotionally maybe feeling like you can handle the situation but that story there she talked about a woman who had been assaulted and then had to come in alone she talks about people who might be struggling with dementia and really need to have that family member by their side sometimes of course she said that exceptions are made and they do their best to accommodate them but you know it's not the case for many it's got to be very confusing and very frightening i have seen patients not want to come in because they can't have a loved one with them. Speaking for my own family member, my mom will not go to a hospital knowing that she will be by herself. She won't go and seek care. Yeah, and I don't, I'm wondering how many people even know that that's the case until it's right in front of them. You know, you might arrive by ambulance, and so often in that circumstance, you might be alone, but. Uh, too often we're taking ourselves to hospital or our loved one is taking us to hospital. And so I'm curious how often you might see circumstances where that patient shows up and suddenly they find, you know, the rules saying, hey, sorry, your husband, son, daughter, wife can't come with you. In my personal experience, a large number of people are taken aback by it. One of the first things they often tell us now is that they are fully vaccinated, however, that doesn't change the policy that they have in place. I see there's several reasons for the policy. As an example, if we have 60 patients in our waiting room and each member of each patient has someone with them, that's now 120 people that we are cramming into our waiting room. 
So again, she sees the reason behind it, right? If you have a full ER, and we know that's the case in many of our ERs, and they're trying to navigate the potential for infection and outbreak and all the COVID stipulations. So, you know, you get it in certain circumstances. But this hospital worker, who, again, we agreed not to identify, says patients need to have healthy family support or, or a caregiver by their side. It's not a policy that we necessarily like. That um, from my experience and my coworkers, and I work with some amazing people in all the departments and people who truly care about patients. And they do the best that they can. But it's really hard not to see some folks have a caregiver with them. It's, it's patient care involves many facets, and one of one of those facets has got to be family. Again, the elderly person comes in, that family member knows all their quirks, knows their fears, knows perhaps they're a bit confused, perhaps there's cognitive issues. A family member will be able to keep them calm and settled and feeling safe far more than some stranger in a, in a healthcare uniform saying, we're here for you or we're not here for you because it's so we're so overwhelmed. So again, that was a hospital worker speaking just about their experiences on the front lines with people being allowed to come in. I want to thank her for sharing her story and apologize for the audio there. We had to record it. We were both busy yesterday, so we were making do with the situation. But I think the message is important. The family caregivers, they're just as important part of the process in healthcare as the healthcare workers themselves. It was a problem before the pandemic, but now school divisions say a shortage of school bus drivers has only grown worse. Yeah, so I reached out to a few school divisions over the past 24 hours because I had heard that there was this shortage going on, uh, particularly in uh, the Seine River School Division, and was told that it existed 18 months ago, but now it's even worse. So St. River, as I mentioned, there are actually two communities where they're looking at maybe limiting bus access to kids who live further from school or alterating pickup times in St. River. They're short about four to five drivers. That's the division, you know, that includes like Lorette, uh, St. Adolph, just south of Winnipeg. Well, in the south end of Winnipeg, Pemina Trails describe the situation as very tight. The superintendent there says they're okay for now, but they're actively recruiting. And in an email from Seven Oaks this morning, they say they would happily take on a few spares. Again, okay for now, but the situation is either they're short or they might be soon, Greg. No question about this. And our next guest has heard it all before. BJ Langdon is president of Tony's Transport, joins us now on the start. Good morning, BJ. Good morning. Thanks for having me on board. Well, thanks for sharing uh, this story with us because it's it's critical part of of the school day, of logistics, of getting days started and ended for parents that count on these uh, services. School buses are a, a big issue for those that count on them. So tell us about the calls you're getting and and just more than usual in terms of, of trying to sort this out. Yeah, that's true. We're a private contractor, so we do a lot of work for many of these boards you mentioned, um, not only school trips, but sometimes uh, provide day-to-day runs for them. And yeah, there's been a lot of boards within the city, and some, as you mentioned, uh, just outside the city are calling looking for our help to find drivers. And I think we talked about this in the summer, about how bad it was and how it was probably worse with COVID. Um, And now, I guess, with the vaccine mandate that's in place uh, and some of the regulations that started on Monday, it's, it's, uh, it's exaggerated this and made it worse for sure. So just before we get into the issue now, what was the issue before this, the pandemic? I mean, what was just a lack of interest or what was going on? Retirement? 
Yeah, well, that was part of it. I mean, uh, this has been an issue in North America for years. I mean, it's uh, it's for the most part a, a fairly part-time job. You know, you're talking four to six hours a day, perfect for somebody that's looking for an extra income or is retired or just wants to get out of the house for a few days or a few hours a day. It's a perfect job for that. You know, a bit of responsibility, obviously, because you're carrying pretty precious cargo. But at the same point, it's pretty rewarding. It's a good-paying job. So, you know, it, it's it's a good career. Um, you know, the problem I think back in the summer when we, we talked was uh, was COVID related. We did have some retirements. Uh, you know, we had some folks that were getting up in age, and and I made it quite clear that even if they were vaccinated, they were scared if they were to get sick with this disease. You know, that would be bad for them. And obviously, I support that. Uh, you know, we had some that I think had just moved on to, uh, you know, sort of I guess had moved on to other careers. Some, you know, were were concerned about they knew the vaccination thing was going to probably happen, that the mandate was probably going to occur, and moved on. And I, I got to be honest, I think some probably just uh, sort of got off on uh, whatever supports they were using and just found it way too easy to stay at home and not come to work. So there's kind of a, a mix of everything that just really exaggerated the issue this year. It's been an issue for years, but. This year, particularly with COVID, uh, it uh, you know it's been pretty bad. It's been tough on a lot of boards and a lot of private contractors and myself. Yeah, well, there's all sorts of talk about what's going to be done to you know with those CERB programs and all the rest. When will they come to the an end? What kind of impact might they have, good and bad, on certain industries? BJ, but also you mentioned the vaccine mandate. So with that testing requirement that came in, you've heard that that had some drivers just quitting or saying they're not interested anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, um, I'm getting calls from drivers as well coming over from different divisions that are asking for hiring for, you know, non-school work. And, uh, you know, we're sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. We need people, but obviously we need people to be vaccinated. So that's, uh, that's been a tough discussion to have, especially now that uh, the mandate has come into place. That's going to restrict what a lot of folks can do in terms of work. So, yeah, it, it, it's been, uh, it's definitely been a challenge. I mean, um, you know, I think the mandate is made, uh, is put in place to obviously protect the kids on the bus. You know, a lot of these children can't get vaccinated uh, because of their age or haven't got vaccinated. So I think the, I think the, the plan is to protect the children first and foremost. And I think that's, that's our key job here as, uh, you know, as our company anyway. So what can be done about this? Well, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, uh, hopefully uh, with talks like this, we'll get a few more people deciding to apply. But I mean, I, I guess where the issue lies is that we've got a bunch of good qualified people uh, and I'm not here to preach one way or another in terms of what they decide to do. I mean, I think the province is, has given folks an opportunity here to continue to work. Um, I know, um, I, and I know they've, they sort of said if you're not, uh, if you're working with vulnerable and if you're a school bus driver, that you need to be fully vaccinated. And then they've come back and said, well, if you, for whatever reason, decide not to get vaccinated, um, you know, here's, a, here's an option sort of thing. And the option is that you get tested up to three times a week. Uh, from my understanding, with talking to some of the superintendents, uh, that three times a week would include uh, one in-person visit, so they actually get to see you at a, at a third-party site. And then the other two can be at home as long as you certify that you passed the test and you agree that you did it. So not a, not a bad uh, trade-off, I don't think. Uh, you know, personally, from my own perspective, again, I'm just talking, you know, my own beliefs. Um, but it does give individuals that don't feel comfortable with the vaccine, for whatever reason, an, an opportunity to continue to work. And for some reason, there's still, uh, sounds like a lot of people, and then, I've run into a few that have just said, I don't want the, I don't want to get tested either. BJ so Lang. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, BJ. Oh, go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. I, just, I personally don't understand it, but then again, that's just my personal opinion. BJ Langdon is the president of Tony's Transport, joining us live on 680 CJOB. BJ, thank you very much for this. We appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on board. appreciate it. I think it's fairly well documented on this show that I have 
Allergies galore. The big one is the cat allergy, which is a problem because whenever I meet a woman, inevitably she has a cat or has two cats, and then I end up having to take four different medications just to survive the allergies. Uh, I'm allergic to, you know, pretty much everything in nature, it seems. But uh, thankfully, uh, no food allergies for me, Greg. Yeah, well, um, how about this in Canada between 25 And 3.1 million people have at least one food allergy, and there are indications that those numbers are on the rise, not just here, Loren, but in other parts of the world as well. So there's all sorts of parts of this conversation. You might have the food industry that's struggling to label things properly, and and recalls related to suspected allergens are also on the rise as a result. And so it's challenging for the industry, and of course it's challenging for those living with a potentially life threatening allergy as they try to figure out what's going on and what they can and can't eat. And so this is why the Agri-Food Analytics Lab out of Dalhousie University surveyed Canadians to try to figure out how bad the problem really is. And the director of that lab, Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor, joins us now. Good morning, Sylvain. Hey, good morning. So 3.1, that's as many as 3.1 million Canadians have a food allergy. Is that number up compared to previous years? Is it on the rise? It's on the rise. So this, uh, this study was actually uh, conducted in partnership with Allergies Canada, and so they, do, they do have historical data. And uh, when we came up with our number, they did confirm that it is on the rise, and we're expecting that number to, to go up even further in years to come. Uh, and so just to be clear, there is a difference between allergies and intolerances, obviously. So for allergies, our estimate is at about 3.1 million for intolerances, it's over 7 million. Uh, the difference between the two allergies uh, are typically life-threatening. Uh, that's, the, that's the main difference, whereas uh, food tolerances will bring uh, discomfort, temporary or, or chronically. So that's like somebody who's lactose intolerant, right? If they drink milk, uh, bad things are going to happen to them, but they'll they'll move on with life after they'll that. They'll survive, exactly. So uh, lack, being lactose intolerant is obviously not pleasant, but it's not life-threatening either. So how are these allergy diagnoses made? Uh, it's a mixed bag, actually, and that was the biggest question mark we had. Uh, who's actually uh, who's assessing these cases? Are they real? Are they false? A lot of people think, well, it's all self-diagnostic. Uh, uh, people will go on the Internet to get into the, some information, and they'll find out, well, they'll figure, well, that, that's who I am. But uh, with allergies, uh, a good portion of people actually have seeked professional help to get a proper uh, diagnostic. Uh, with intolerances, things are a little bit more ambiguous. The vast majority of Canadians actually have not uh, seeked professional help to get a proper diagnostic. So that's that's the main difference between the two. And uh, and for the food industry, it's it's a tricky thing because so how do you manage that and. Uh, um, thinking about schools, thinking about uh, Halloween coming up next week, and, and also most importantly, as a result of COVID, a lot of food is delivered to people's homes, and people will have actually f- figured or would have noticed that not all information is actually with the food being delivered to people's homes, and that's kind of why we're very much interested in that topic because things got uh, has gotten a little bit more complicated for for the food industry uh, trying to convey risk to the public. 
Well, you know, in the restaurant now, Sylvain, instead of, you know, if you order your food with uh, something on the side or, you know, no tomatoes as I might, uh, the automatic question now, and this has been a change in the last decade or so, you know, is that a preference or an allergy? So restaurants have responded to that in a big way. Now, I'm in my early 50s. And I can honestly say that when I was in elementary school, the only person I knew that was allergic to anything was my cousin, and he was allergic to wasps. But it's impossible oh to, you know, but it's impossible to imagine that there weren't kids in my elementary school classes that didn't have food allergies. Did we just not know about these things for a long time? We're more aware. Uh, actually, yesterday in my uh, graduate uh, food policy class, uh, one of my students actually got, uh, uh, was raised on a dairy farm, and he's lactose intolerant. Uh, his parents never believed him until he actually went to uh, seek professional help, and, uh, and, and he got the diagnostic. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there was a lot of things happening. I mean, I grew up on a dairy farm as well, and uh, I'm not that lactose intolerant, but I mean, in those days, you just thought it was temporary, something something was wrong with your body for a while, you had the flu, whatever. But now today, there's more information, and it's more public, and it's out there. Like 35% of all food recalls we have in Canada are related to an allergen or mislabeling. So that's a lot of stuff going on right now in the food industry. So we're more aware of the risks. I'm coming from this from a personal perspective. Sp- perspective, Sylvain, as I've said this before, I have a family member who is anaphylactic to, to nuts. And so it's really important to me that the food labels are right. And so what I like about getting this kind of data is the more we know, I think the more people will say, oh, like, you know, one of the things was, oh, it's just a fad or it's not that bad or they'll be okay. Or I don't, you know, the believability was low, you know, years ago. And now the more you hear people dealing with this, you'd have to think the more everyone from restaurants to the food industry would have to take it seriously because we're counting on those labels to potentially save someone's life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's this, there, there was a stigma attached to having allergies for a very long time. Uh, it was almost a problem socially <laughs> to acknowledge that you had an allergy or someone had an allergy around the table. Uh, but now uh, it's more accepted, and and uh, and and. But still, you, you're still seeing some of that hesitation socially. But now, as we're trying to um, get rid of this awful pandemic, and we're starting to lead normal lives, we thought it was actually a good time to kind of uh, to uh, make sure that people remember that that risks are out there, especially ten days before Halloween, and and packages tend to be a little bit tricky for, for parents or people with allergies. Uh, alerts will be on the main package, but as you open up the package for, for units like small chocolate bars, for example, you may not have that label saying, uh, well, perhaps there is presence of a peanut or eggs or something like that. So you've got to be careful with, how, with uh, what you serve to what you give out to, ki- to kids. Sylvain Charlebois, the food professor from Dalhousie University, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sylvain, thank you for this as always. We appreciate it, sir. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, in case you're just tuning in, this is what happened just moments ago. In our age group, and Greg's age group, they're two different age groups. Oh, um, wow! <laughs> <laughs> 
for fun. Pretty sure friend. we have to go to commercial, right? <laughs> So we were talking about allergies and how food allergies specifically and how some people uh, either discover they have an allergy or develop a food allergy in their 40s. And that's where you made the comment, Loren, and then things kind of fell off the rails. I said I didn't mean to do that. Mm -hmm. But then I said (laughs) in our age group and then I wanted to point out, you know, and yours too, Greg, so you were included. And then I wanted to divide you from us. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, you included me somehow by discluding me. I understand. (laughs) I just said, I think I just like decided to embrace my jerkiness. I don't know what was. <laughs> That's okay. It's like, you know, when you're going down, you just didn't mean to, but you're like, well, I'm already in this. Like, I might as well carry on. Yeah. Well, I just uh, had to take my 945 uh, handful of pills that I take every day to keep me alive. So don't worry about it. It's all good. Hey, our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Speaking of food, this is the question that went up yesterday. Newfoundland and Labrador are looking to make their people healthy by taxing sugary drinks. What do you think? And this was a close race. 50.35% say good idea. 49.65% say bad idea. Hmm. So we've changed since updated the question, but I think I might throw this one on Twitter as well to see if we get a similar horse race. Greg, what do you think? I think it's got its merits. Uh, I'm not always in favor of taxation, but sometimes I believe uh, an additional cost to doing things that aren't necessarily great for us has the potential, lots of qualifiers here, uh, in order that it may in fact change our habits, at least make us think twice about it. I was in New York back in 2013 and it was the first time I had seen on fast food menus all the different uh, calories attached. I know a lot of the places do it now, but that was the first time I had seen it. And I confess, Loren, it made me think twice about which uh, burger I was going to order, the double or the triple cheeseburger. Which is why I hate it. Because <laughs> I don't want to know. But it but works, it, it, right? But it works. It really makes you, I have absolutely, you know, about to order a combo. And then you think to yourself, oh, wow, if I upsize this, this really is hammering me. Maybe I'll remove the fries or that kind of thing. So it does work. The thing about the tax on sugary drinks, I don't necessarily have an issue with it. But I, I'm curious where the line is. Like, for example, I, I never drink Coke regular or Pepsi regular. Like, I just don't like the sugary, nothing to do with weight. I just don't like the taste. I do drink Diet Coke a lot. Guess what? That's really bad for me too with the aspartame. And so it Good might point. be no no fat, no sugar, but it's it. some have argued it might be doing more harm to me than the sugar would. So I don't know. I I think I like the awareness factor of it and, and helping people understand the impact. Like maybe they should start with doing with Coke, Brett, like they did with cigarettes, like a picture of your lung. With Coke, they could put like the number of teaspoons of sugar and a picture of your mm. fatty liver or whatever it would be that stomach lining. That's a stomach lining photo on the can. That's kind of interesting, yeah, because it's just empty calories. It's just like right. I, I will maybe drink one or two cans of Coke in a year. In a year? I don't drink pop. I mean, I drink a lot of pop. But it's it's usually uh, as a source of Just a mix, not on a solo mission. But it's and they, and they always go diet. McGarry McNabb, we have bomber tickets to give away for Saturday's game based on your text message. We start the conversation, you finish it by winning 
and we asked you this morning about crazy dining experiences. It's a follow-up chat to yesterday. We were talking about the crazy meals we've had. Today we're talking about dining experiences. And Melissa, doubling down, Melissa is not our winner, but I salute your effort here, Melissa, because yesterday for her the craziest meal was the burger she had at the Heart Attack Grill in Las Vegas. And today she says, I'm still going with the Heart Attack Grill. Nothing says atmosphere like wearing a hospital gown and drinking wine from an IV. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it does look like a very unique uh, experience, that's for sure. I wanted to try it the last time I was in Vegas, but I never made it there. So, Melissa, good for you. Greg, why don't you um, – uh, We've got, I think we've got time for – this from one from Samantha and then our winner. So take a look at Samantha's here. Well, I've actually been to this restaurant and I know the story oh, behind wow. the phones on the tables at the Grizzly House in Banff. It's a fondue restaurant on the main street and Samantha says it was re- recommended to her. So uh, when they sat down there, there was a phone beside the table. Kept ringing. I didn't know whether to answer it, but it kept ringing. The waiter walked by quickly, and I said, uh, I'm so short-staffed, can you pick it up for me? Not sure why, but I obliged. I picked it up, and the person on the phone told me, is it your first date? Because the gentleman didn't pull out your chair. And, um, you know, if it is your first date, you should leave based on that. To which my husband shook his head. We were so confused. Five minutes later, phone rings again, and someone recommends getting the special on the phone and a certain type of wine. I go to the bathroom. There's a phone in the bathroom, to which the phone caller says, I hope you are only going number one. I come back flustered to the table and ask the waiter, what the heck is going on? He flips over the menu, and it's a map of phones in the restaurant with phone numbers. It turns out the Grizzly House used to be a swingers club, and they never got rid of the phones. (laughs) And that's how you would reach out to people in the restaurant. Hey, uh, you're looking pretty good tonight. What a memory. I recommend it to everyone. I was so confused, so humorous, and a memory of a lifetime. It's right on Main Street next to Joe Splitsfix. Oh, wow. I love it. That sounds neat. You would just get them, like, you could call from phone to phone within the restaurant, right? Correct. Make your proposal. or All right, but our winner is Sandy. (laughs) So, Loren, why don't you take Sandy's text? One of the funniest stories, I was in my early 20s, and my girlfriend and her then fiancé set me up on a blind date, and the four of us went to High's for dinner. He was a very nice guy. I wasn't into him, but we all had a great dinner, a lot of laughs, a lot of wine. When we were getting ready to leave, the guys asked for the check, and we were going to split it. When my blind date opened up his wallet, out flew a condom into the aisleway of the restaurant in between the tables. I have never seen someone turn so red, and my girlfriend and I couldn't help but kill ourselves laughing, even though we tried not to, but it was too freaking funny. When the waiter passed by, he picked it up and said, I think this belongs to one of your gentlemen. (laughs) We all pointed to my date, and then it dawned on me. I said, hey... I hope that thing wasn't for me. <laughs> Great story, Sandy. <laughs> Congratulations, Sandy. You're going to the bomber game. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And we had a conversation earlier this week. We spoke with Penner Pumpkins in uh, the Steinbach area. And, you know, he was telling us what goes into trying to grow a pumpkin and i think what did he say loren that they they had a like a mid-range big pumpkin that weighed something like 350 pounds and that's not even close to like the champion pumpkins that oh yeah that, that just that, defies 
logic and reason, and I don't understand how that how something can grow from nothing to that in I guess what a year. And 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 work that goes into it, and you know, Greg had mentioned as well, Roland. You know, that's uh, a home of 4H, which is awesome. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, I like my 4H plugs, but uh, it also is where the pumpkin growing contest takes place every year. And those are those are pumpkins that are in the thousands of pounds. You know, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred. Like they're they're using what do you call it? Like a crane? Like they're just yeah. gigantic to get these things off the ground. And so I was with great interest. I was driving with my family through St. Adolph. I think it was Sunday. And all of a sudden I hear my oldest go, whoa, that is a huge pumpkin. So of course, yeah, you got to turn around see what, what he's talking about. And we did. And in the back of this truck uh, was this giant pumpkin. So I immediately, of course, tell my husband to stop the car across the street and I approached this guy in the truck who's wondering why this crazy redhead's running at him and my first question of course is is that a real pumpkin <laughs> like which seems silly I think and the next question was well what is this pumpkin all about Greg well it, listen if you were in Roland you would you know ask that question potentially is that a real pumpkin 12 feet by 12 feet it's home of the world's largest artificial pumpkin you know, it's one of Manitoba's big things in Roland, so maybe not the craziest question in the world. Joining us now to tell us what all the pumpkin conversation is all about, Chris Sokal joins us now. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, guys. How are you? Doing really well. So, like, do you just live for growing pumpkins, or do you do other <laughs> stuff as well? Uh, yeah, no, I got a normal job, just like everybody else. I come to work and... Uh... Then my October uh, is a complete mess with uh, doing this stuff, but uh, I keep doing it for uh, my cause for mom. So my but my Halloween starts, you know, midsummer when I'm I'm trying to get uh, you know a hold of the, the growers and just making them sure, you know reminding them that I'm still doing this because they've been I've been doing it for maybe 30 years just playing with them and then in uh, about 2011 I switched it over to uh, a cancer care uh, fundraiser for mom. So what are the pumpkins for? How are they being used? Um, well, so uh, what I do now is I, I as uh, the, the, the non-crazy redhead said there, uh, <laughs> I have one in the back of the truck that I started doing the last few years just to add something to it. So I, I do drive around with that every day, and it, it you know, it just, it just builds the, uh, the craze for it. So, you know, I've done, I've crashed a wedding one time. That was amazing. Um, you know, I've done the... Um, the corn maze the owner there angie is, is uh, a breast cancer survivor so i've done heebie-jeebies i've done birthday drive-bys with covid of course so it just it just gets it going and then i have uh, the one in the back of my truck is 500 pounds that one's from uh, lasalle uh, and then i have two i think they're pushing 800 pounds um in my in my garage they sit there right after the fair and roll in there because it's the first weekend in October, then I, I bring them home the, the same day. It's a big flat deck, so I think I brought home six. A um, little bit smaller, but it was it was a tough year for a lot of the growers. But they never let me down. And uh, again, they you know they donate them because they know what what it's going for now. But uh, so I stand them up. The boys are coming over tomorrow night. I usually got to bribe them with some cold beers and pizza. But uh, this year they'll be thankful because usually they're around the eleven or twelve hundred pounds. But there's nothing to you know shy about a, an 800 pound pumpkin so we'll lift them up and then i'll carve them in the next couple of days and i put uh, red floodlights in them and uh, fog units so 
it's it's quite the thing to see and it's it's definitely stuck for uh all these years and now you know again doing it for cancer care in manitoba is uh has definitely turned it around for uh something amazing and i didn't think it would get this big and this crazy uh, as it has well chris i was already intrigued by the fact that there was this <laughs> pumpkin that was hundreds of pounds in the back of the truck but then as you mentioned this is for cancer care and you talked about your mom so tell me about yeah. your mom obviously halloween was big for her i'm guessing it, it was and that's how it all started back you know for our family when we were young um my mom retired from uh, MPI and the old Eaton's building there. So as those buildings, unfortunately, you know, started closing down back in the day, uh, I remember her taking a few of the buildings that were um, in the basement that were close together. And we actually, uh, she created um, a fun zone for the inner city kids. So I remember going there and, you know, she would talk her, her sweetness and everybody loved her and they, they could never say no to my mom. I, I don't know what she had, but she had some sort of secret power that you women have and, uh, you know, get treats and toys. And yeah, we'd set up these rooms where they'd kind of do a walkthrough, but it wasn't, you know, it was scary, but it wasn't. So, and then after we couldn't use those rooms anymore, <laughs> it ended up coming to one of my, my first house that I bought in, in St. Patel. So, and it uh, it just didn't stop. So and then I then I found these pumpkins, and uh, then she saw that, and she's like, "Well, I think my first pumpkin I stumbled across uh, from Sobeys one time. I think it might have been like eighty pounds, and that was big. And no, I had to go find bigger ones. So I found them, and uh, a farmer from Roland, his family, his his young boys would grow them for me for a few years, and then of course, you know, they didn't do it anymore. So I asked, "Where are these coming from?" And they said, Roland has a pumpkin fair. So I contacted them. And um, long story short, I just was able to get these pumpkins donated because, you know, I was, I was doing it for the kids. And then, again, when I, I turned it to a, a, a fundraiser, they were just beside themselves. And uh, they had no problem. I even had Americans that wanted to leave the pumpkins, but they can't. They have to bring them back. Apparently, their pumpkins can't uh, touch our soil. So... But when you have them like, you know, that far reaching out where, you know, you don't even know these people and they're saying, just take the pumpkins. You know, I've even had them say, like, we'll take the fine, take the take the pumpkins. You're doing an amazing job for it. So, Chris, um, I also understand you you carve some of these pumpkins. Can you give us some pumpkin (laughs) carving tips? What are the tools of the trade? Get a big knife, a big (laughs) knife. (laughs) <laughs> yeah simple. yeah so I, I i carved the one in the back of my truck and i uh actually with a good friend of mine uh kevin he helped me put an led light system into into the truck so you know when i'm driving even in the morning now that it's dark or at night you, you got a 500 pound pumpkin staring at you with a big old smile so and then uh i had a company archangel they're donating um fireworks and smoke bombs so i'll put it out of there but the big boys at home, same thing. I, I carve just plain Jane faces into them because they're they're so big. Even when I pop out like an eye, because I just do eyes and a mouth to keep it simple. When I pull out a piece of the eye, because um, it doesn't come out one piece, I have to break it up. There, each piece could be forty, fifty pounds. Wow, so that's <laughs> just a little piece of the pumpkin is fifty pounds. Easily, like it's you know, and like it's like I said, because I'm because they're big square eyeballs or triangle eyeballs or whatever I want to do, but I they don't just pop out in one piece, I got to break them up because I don't want to snap 
the pumpkin itself. Mm. And then I have to be careful as I'm carving it that the eyes aren't too close to the mouth because it could just, it could collapse as well. So this is a fundraiser, of course, as you mentioned, for Cancer Care, Chris. Yeah. Your mom, yes, Marietta, right? Was that, am I pronouncing Mary, her name yeah. right? Yeah, you did right on the money. Thank you very okay. much. Yeah, Marietta. Well, she, she passed away, uh, I guess it'd be almost 11 years ago now, pancreatic yeah. cancer. Um, her love yeah. of Halloween. Clearly, she loved her kids. What do you think she'd think if you believe in anyone looking down? What is mom I, I don't thinking even, right I don't now? Even know any, I don't even know anymore what she would think. She's probably laughing. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that she's uh, she's proud. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, take a breath there for a second, but uh, <clears throat> well, I'm know, sure she's uh, smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I know if she was here, she'd be doing it right beside me. So she'd probably want to, you know, go bigger, and I'd be like, "Mom, this is, uh, <laughs> you know, something that started." Like I said, I, I think the first year I, I raised fifty bucks because being a typical man, I thought about it on a Thursday, and Halloween was a Saturday. <laughs> and then every, every every year, every year after that, it's just been you know a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars, and then it just exploded. You know, five grand, six grand, seven grand, and in total, I think I'm over thirty-one thousand dollars in seven years. Chris, your spirit. <laughs> That is amazing. Your spirit oozes uh, over the phone lines and over the radio waves. Uh, you've got Manitobans who've uh, fallen in love with you over the last five or six minutes here. How can we get involved if uh, maybe we can't come see the pumpkins or you can't bring them to us? Uh, if we want to get involved and, and get on board with this incredible fundraiser, what do we do? Well, with the, the beautiful ladies from uh, Cancer Care Manitoba, and I, and I can't stress that enough, uh, you know the main one of the main ladies I deal with is Donna over there. She is a she is an angel, and they have designed me a, a website so people can go online and they can track how I'm doing. And they can if they can't make it to the house, they can they can donate right online, or they can you know come to my house of course on any any day. But Halloween is the big day. So but yeah, online is it's a lot of people they don't think it's easier so that they do it you know i've had people in in, in bc vancouver all over the place that have, have, have done it so what's the site uh it's right on my my uh, you just got to go to the, the cancer care uh web but it's on my facebook as well and there's a link there as well so it'll all they have to do is to um hit uh, like find the, the, the pumpkin promise and it'll come to it yeah that's but all i, I did if, yeah that's it, all i did up. Yeah, and then there's there's actually two buttons. There's a top button on the right. Don't hit that one. <laughs> it's, the bu- it's the button right above my head because I think I'm standing beside a big pumpkin there. You yeah. are. It's almost it's almost as tall as me. I, I don't like admitting that, but yeah, when you stand these things up, so I've had them where they're actually taller than me. So wow. Chris, this is a great cause. I want to thank you so much for sharing it. And I, this is the least important question, but it just came from a listener, and I love it. You mentioned yeah. the pieces are 50 pounds. Are the seeds yeah. bigger in a big pumpkin? Like, yeah, are there the, giant pumpkin oh, yeah. seeds? Yeah, the seeds are probably, so if you look at your thumbnail, you know, I mean, I got I got small hands, but uh, they're, they're, they're a really good size. But don't even try to bake them because I tried baking them one time and I was I might as well have chewed on a two-by-four because that's as good as it tasted. <laughs> so, yeah, it was really disappointing because I put all the nice spices in there. You know, I had a rum going on the side because I was celebrating and then I took a bite and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, they're not good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Chris, what do you do when you're not growing pumpkins? I work for a fantastic company called Lindy Canada here in Winnipeg. Here, it's a it's a welding company, so I'm a, I'm a sales rep for them inside and uh, 
They're, they've been, again, only been here a few months, and they have uh, supported me right through and, and actually taken this and made it um, viral through the company, which is well. So the support here has been amazing because, you know, I'm on the phone with you guys. Um, I'm getting phone calls from the free press. I'm getting phone calls from CTV and interviews that I got to rush home to. And, you know, I work all day and then I work all night. So it's, it's I'm not going to lie, it's mentally exhausting because, you know, you, you hear my voice cracking when you when I talk about mom, but I, I got to do it. This is how I honor her, and this is how I am helping. I'm trying to help, and I hope I, I leave a mark for you know when I'm when I'm not here and, and fishing upstairs with mom. But you know, this this is what I'll continue to do as, as long as I, I, I can. Chris O'Kell, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We very much appreciate it, sir. I really thank you guys for doing this, too, because it gets the word out there. So, And uh, thank you guys very much. And you're not crazy. Don't worry about it. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.